0: Yeah.
1: music presents inside out with turner and seth
2: and this week or this episode because we have two episodes coming out this, this week two uh, we have david barbie a legendary uh, producer musician and now professor That's and right. someone who has worked a bunch with uh with seth my co-host here
1: we've done a lot of work together uh through the uga music business program which really is an amazing program. We'll talk. We'll get into that in the show. But let me just tell you, folks, it's uh, if you're in college and or going to college, or you have kids that are going to go to college, and they want to get into the music business, this is the way to go. The music business program at UGA is one of the finest, as well as the Kennesaw State one. Uh, both Georgia universities.
2: And he talks about how some folks come to the school knowing full well what they're going to study and what angle of music business they want to go into and others just have a general curiosity and they kind of find their way through the program.
1: That's right.
2: And we also go through his career, he moved to Athens in 1981, actually to go to UGA. Um, he worked his way to, He talks about how he had a lot of good fortune. Um, he worked his way into the music scene, which is wasn't so easy as he talks about. Um, he met great musicians and and formed this punk band mercy land that 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 lasted seven eight years and actually did quite well although we do hear about some of their less fortunate gigs in this interview uh he meets john Keane just uh and then just as that band mercy land ends Keane gives him the tools that he that barbie will need uh learns he essentially learns studio work and producing Mm -hmm. and and barbie just really dove into it full on and and went all over the southeast uh producing recording people then Seth right around that same time he's getting educated by John Keane. he starts working with Bob Mould of uh, Husker Dude bro they formed Sugar great band they, they what's had that a, song a, an album called...
1: what's the song what's the song from Sugar come on sing it Rob
2: well the the, the record is Copper Blue okay it's a, it's a great record it's one of, the, one of the best of the 90s according to the critics and uh just really, he caught him at a good time. Yeah, but what's the hit? What's were... the
1: hit song? The hit song. Come on, sing it.
2: I can't think of it right now. <sighs> Come on, dude. You sang I was it.
1: on like... a roll here. You, you, you sang it on the ride up to the interview. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah.
2: I know. I'll find it. But it, 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 it's really another thing is that um, he was a key part of the Drive By Truckers. He kind of he came onto their world just at the right time when um, they were, as he says in our interview, coming apart at the seams and, and she was just what they needed. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, everything's been fortuitous and we, we learn about that. We even talk, Seth, we even talk about some of the recent law changes that have happened here in Georgia, which make it a more attractive uh, state for music and film industry work, which you people, if you're young and you're looking where to go to college, come to georgia there's a lot of opportunity here you can get educated here and then you can get into the film and the music industry come home
1: hey rob do you know uh i I definitely think that you would agree with this statement that david barbie is to athens music scene and the music scene in georgia as as much as rem is to athens in different ways but as significant of a you know member of this society
2: absolutely definitely and um you know.
1: And quite the family man, Patterson. too. Yes, and it's just great to hear, you know,
2: to hear Drive-By Truckers fans. I mean, because a lot of them know about it. And Mike Cooley and Patterson were the founding members of the Truckers. And, and uh, we didn't really get to talk to David too much about the Truckers, but we are, as I said, Seth, Seth Lectures at the university. We just need to line up time and do a, do a part two, right, Seth?
1: Yeah, let's definitely do a part two. Hey, Rob, one more thing I want to mention before we uh, jump into the interview. Okay. I'd like to thank thank uh, Josh Thane, our engineer, who's uh, working hard right now to produce uh, and engineer these two episodes that we're doing back to back. Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Sound Studios, and also, um, what's his band? Migrant Worker. That's right. Hey, Rob. Speaking of the truckers, what do you say we uh, give Patterson Hood a call? Uh, hear, hear what he has to say give about Bobby. Yeah, let's give him a call. Give him a call. I have his number from well, a, an interview I did a while back, uh, and then it, well, we did the uh, poolside broadcast, the LL Pool J, if you remember. But any rate, um, I don't know. I love
2: the, I love the idea of you having the number, the idea of you doing an interview without me, though I don't like.
1: It. This was before you and I were a thing, Rob. This is actually that was actually that was actually what really got. This thing started, if you think about it, because I went and did that poolside broadcast with him, uh, Randall Bramblett, and I also had George Porter Jr., and I did 30 minutes with each of them and uh, at Panic and La Playa, and that's kind of was like, huh, yeah, okay, this this could work. I like this idea. Podcast came back to you with the equipment, and boom, there you had episode one.
2: Speaking of Randall Bramblett, we will have our episode with Randall Bramblett
1: next month. Uh, yeah coming up pretty soon oh and geez august is looking pretty sweet I, uh, we'll we'll put it out there on social media but august august has some uh some some fire to it
2: august is our big push month we're gonna step up and hit it hard in august
1: that's right well what do you say what do you think we should do here rob you, you want to give it a shot
2: if you can get patterson hit on the phone i'd be delighted
3: i don't, I don't believe you can actually get him on the phone can you really
4: Drive-by
1: truckers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Patterson, Seth here, with, hey. and Rob with WTNS Inside Out with Turner and Seth. How are you?
4: I'm doing good. How's it going?
1: Good. What city are you in?
4: Oh, God. I think uh, Columbia, South Carolina.
3: Oh, I used to live there. I'm sorry you're All there. right. No. I, I'm <laughs> kidding. I had four great years there.
4: I didn't know
1: you golfed. Who? Yeah, well, either of you. Uh, me you're not talking to me i don't think i don't golf (laughs) (laughs) well isn't that what people do in south carolina uh i don't know
4: i'm here to rock i'm here to play a rock show and (laughs) uh and uh then i'll be somewhere else tomorrow (laughs) no i don't do golf well, listen. We
3: want to talk to you about David Barbie, but real, real quick. Uh, the most recent Drive By Truckers album, uh, American Band. You went with a new artist. You went with a new producer. You took it out of Athens, and in retrospect, new engineer, new engineer, yes. New engineer, but although yeah. our boy David was still involved, as we know. Um, how, in retrospect, it's been out now over six months. How do you feel about how it was received and and how it uh, the impact it had on the band?
4: I think it's I think it's been probably our best received record really ever. And, uh, you know, it definitely, it's the first time we've ever cracked the top 10 and, uh, uh, we did, um, you know, it's been done really well. It it has, you know, really great Metacritic rating and all that kind of good stuff. And, um, we've been playing it. It's been good to go out and perform, you know, every night. It's been, it's been a great tour. Now,
3: while it's more political than other records you've done before, it's not the first time you've been political. Yet when I, when I read a, a lot of this press on you, it seems as though some feel as though it's a new thing for you. Do, do, do you sometimes feel like your music people don't get some of your music sometimes when you put out an album like this and they, and they say that this is a new direction for
4: you? I don't know. I, you know, I think some people. I think a lot of people do, but it's you know, it, it's it's so easy to generalize things. I mean, you know, I, I don't really really even think about it in terms of you know, life is political. You, you you can't live your life without being interrelating to politics, where you whether you think you do or not, you know. And so, you know, every every decision affects other people, and that is basically the nature of politics. That's what life is. So, you know, I always I consider. You know, nearly everything we write to be on some level, both personal and political. And, uh, you know, if this record, if it seemed a little bit more direct, maybe on this record, you know, I guess that's just a sign of the times. We're, We're in a pretty direct, we're in a pretty you know, intense moment in time yeah. as a society mm-hmm. and a culture and a country. And so, you know, I definitely, you know, you write what you feel. And so that certainly affected the songs.
1: Yeah. And I think feelings
4: I, affect the songs.
1: I think you're right about that. I mean, if you go into an art, uh, if you go into a museum with a bunch of art, you're going to interpret that art how you, into your emotions and your feelings. You, you see what you want to see. So if your music uh, came out a little strong in that sense, maybe it's, it is a sign of the times, less the actual going into it so yeah
3: right where do you see the band going next do you do would you want to step step away from uh you know going to more not not as direct songwriting for an album or do you find you want to you're in the contemporary now and you you want to pursue that a little more
4: i'm i'm, I'm pretty okay with pursuing it more but i'm not uh i'm not going to tell it what to do or where to go i mean i i i you know i look at uh you know the, the songs kind of control my decisions not the other way around you know mm-hmm. i don't i don't think anybody i don't think cooley or either one set out to make an album that was like this record at this at this moment in time in fact we had actually planned on taking a little bit of a hiatus after finishing all the english oceans touring and putting out the live album from that we were kind of planning on taking a little bit of a break but these songs came and we you know felt compelled to do what we needed to do with them and so we made this record And you know right now the band's having a really wonderful time the tour's going great attendance is up all that good stuff so i'm 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 all about being all in and continuing it going right now but it's but what comes next as far as an album goes is going to be dictated by what songs we start writing when we both start writing again. So is it when you and Mike write
3: separately, but then at some point you come together <laughs> and try to piece together s- songs that each of you have that work, work together. How does that process work?
4: It's works really organically and easily. Uh, and, uh, it's kind of amazingly, uh, you know, we write totally separately, but he'll send me, he'll send me like, a, a, a you know, a little, Home demo or four track or whatever he'll do of whatever he's written to you, and uh, you know, and if he decides he really likes it, he'll send it to everybody in the band to hear, and uh, and I do the same. I, I tend to my demos are like really really stripped down. Like I I basically will make a voice memo on my phone with me and an acoustic guitar when I when I finish a song, and so I'll send that to Cooley and everyone in the band to hear, and if it gets reaction, everybody seems like they like it, then goes on the you know it goes on the board <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll see about recording it or working it up or whatever and so it, it happens real naturally like that and as far as how the songs interlock that's just one of those kind of crazy amazing things that can just happen you know chemistry or whatever i mean you know his songs and my song have always kind of interacted with each other well which makes i think is probably one of the great strengths of our band but on this album they were almost like having a conversation with each other and it was really really cool how one song would set up a theme that would then appear in another one and like you know, one of his songs would appear as a theme in one of mine and back and forth throughout the whole record yeah. and uh you know we got real lucky this time i wish i wish i could set out and make every record be as as everything work as well as this one did but this is one of those things that just You can't control, and every now and then you just get lucky, and one of these records happens maybe if you're real lucky.
3: Well, uh, I think it's incredible. I've, I've listened to it a couple times today, but we could go on and on. I want one more trucker's question, and we go into David Barbie land.
4: Um, oh yeah. Well, you know, there there wouldn't be any drop by truckers if it hadn't for David Barby. I mean, I'll just say that point blank. He, literally, in the most literal way, you know, we probably wouldn't have broke. We probably would have broken up before completing Southern Rock Opera, honestly, without without him stepping in and and kind of guiding us through a, a tough spot we were in on a personal and a musical level right at that moment, as we were trying to finish that record. And, uh, and, you know, he's been our producer ever since. And, um, uh, he had engineered, a, he had mixed a couple of records part of that, but that was, that was kind of the beginning it was when he stepped in to help us complete Southern rock opera and ended up being a co-producer on it. And, uh, and, um uh, you know he's 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 been he's been part of everything we've done ever since and it's just he's you know he's like a member of the band he just happens to be one that isn't out on the bus with us
3: now things got volatile in the drive by truckers world there during southern rock and then even
4: later on <laughs> yeah we, we it's been known to be that way you know we've, we've had we've had our sell our share of turmoils and troubles and and you know like any i mean you think about you think about get Think of your five best friends and then picture y'all getting in a bus together and living together for the next 10 years and going to a thousand different cities in that bus <laughs> over that course and being then... Asked to not only be friends, but get out there for several hours a night and work together for some common cause that you might not always see out on and then get back on that bus and coexist till the next town and then and, and do that for 10 years. And things are going to break and change and people are going to go crazy and and want to beat each other up. And 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 sometimes along the way, people are going to have to leave, you mm-hmm. know, and. Uh, And, um, you know, and it's like it's a lifestyle that, you know, a certain amount of partying kind of comes with it, especially in the early days. And sometimes that leads to its own problems, particularly when that becomes too big a part of it and uh, and starts interfering with other things. And so that can happen. And, you know, there's a there's a million pitfalls out here. And and we're lucky that we've kept a band together for 21 years and over 2000 shows and Cooley and I've been playing together for it'll be 32 years this summer that we've been playing together, and uh, you know, and shit, we didn't even get along the first 10 years <laughs> or so. I mean, you know, at all. <laughs> it took us 10 years to stop just fighting like cats and dogs. So, uh, so you know, it, it's it's a it's a pretty beautiful thing when something like this can last this long, and you know, and 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 I'm really proud of the fact that we made. You know, a record that most people consider one of our best records at, uh, in our 20th year. And mm-hmm. that's, I'm really proud of that. Not a lot of bands do that. You know, it's, 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 the Stones didn't make a great record in their 20th year. You know, it's just, it happens. And so I'm, I'm really proud of that. And, uh, and so, you know, and like I said, I'm, I thank David Barbie a lot for, Kind of getting us through some of the tougher times so that we can come out the other end and be in this place that we're in now.
1: So I I understand that if you had more room on the album uh, liner notes, you would have added a Barbie therapy. As a therapist slash <laughs> have, producer. have I not
4: ever called him that? I think I have before. You must on have of, on, on, on credits. If you look back over all of them, surely I have before. <laughs> he seems
3: very calm and very matter of fact, and I can imagine that that can help get through uh, volatile situations. But also, does does he get put on the spot? Like when you're when you're in that situation, and there's differing opinions on how things should go, then does it come down to the producer? Does the
4: producer often get put on the spot? It's uh everyone knows that barbie's gonna shoot straight there's never any bs with barbie he's always going to shoot straight he's always going to tell you what he thinks and there's no bias ever in any of it no personal bias you know if 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 someone who he loves dearly maybe even closer to than anyone else in the band is screwing up he's not going to pull any punches with them or anybody else and he's always above board there's never a hidden agenda with him ever and uh, and and if he senses some kind of hidden agenda going on in the dynamic, he'll 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 call he would call us on it. You know, it's like you know this is you know you're screwing up here and you're doing you know and he's he's kind of like the 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 you know the Andy Griffith's father on the TV show. He's a, he's a really you know he he's he's certainly got an alpha male aspect to him, but he's also extremely low key and careful not to overuse that you know and so it's a great dynamic and he's an amazing engineer and producer he's got killer ears and he's a great musician you know and and he's and he's a literal great father you know cuz i know all all three of his kids are now grown and amazing amazing grown up adults you know and uh one, work one of with whom is out with us yeah henry's out on tour with us now he's he's our monitor engineer and he's one of one of my favorite people i've ever been out on the road with you uh, know he reminds me a lot of his dad in, in a lot of great ways and and both the other ones are great too you know and uh, uh his brother winston who plays in a band with him called the hernies and they're a fantastic band and then they have a daughter named uh, annabelle who lives out in portland and is married to a another dear friend of mine. And, uh, so yeah, you know, there it's, it's family. And could you talk about your involvement with his
3: music program at UGA and also talk about some of the other people that you've worked with in, in the industry who've come out of his program?
4: Well, it's, uh, his program's great. You know, it, it was, yeah, you know, it, it had started a few years before he took it over, but he definitely took it from being a kind of cool thing to being an amazing thing. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it it's it's part of the business school at, at the University of Georgia, but it's it's an emphasis on the music the music business, management and bookings and the various aspects of, of being in the music business, promotion, publicity, you know, all the different facets. And um, and so uh, they uh you know we've had interns from that program interning with our band. Uh, one of our interns is now our tour manager. He's been, he, after he got out of school, he continued working for our band and we, you know, he's kind of came up the ranks and now he's running the show out here mm-hmm. on tour. What'd and would uh, uh Cole, Cole Taylor.
2: Right on Cole. And, man.
4: Uh, and uh, he's great, you know, and then uh, of course, Henry came out of the program and he's also, engineers at the studio uh at barbie's studio at chase park transduction and uh he's our monitor engineer and he's he's fantastic on the road our front of house guy um who's also wonderful Wyatt Wyatt plus he came out of the program and uh, i remember he was interning at the studio when we were making i believe it was the english oceans record and uh he was an intern at the studio and he walked out of the room and barbie like pointed to him after he walked out it's like that guy it's like it's like, watch out watch out for that guy he's mm. he's got it you yeah. know and he and he's been he's been an amazing asset to our organization having him out on the road so uh,
5: so yeah it's, it, he's doing
4: he's doing amazing work and i mean he's getting notoriety on a national scale you know a lot of a lot of his students are getting placement you know at, at places like red light management which is the company that manages us and you know a lot of the other a lot of the other you know, music into business entities and the business in Nashville and New York and LA. Well,
3: thank you so much, Patterson. Before we toss to David Bar- Barbie, I want to ask one last question about drive by truckers. We in the fan base always get excited when, uh, when you reunite with Jason Isbell, I, I was wondering, <laughs> How have, how have those uh, times gone that the few times that you guys have played played together since is it like riding an old bike or is it more of a struggle you have to
4: rehearse and and uh nah, shit. we don't rehearse uh <laughs> no, we, are, we, are, we, don't, we don't ever rehearse but uh um no it's 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 kind of it's kind of neither of those i mean it's it's good to see it's like seeing an old friend you know i mean jason jason was such a huge part of our story and uh you know, and we had those five years that we played together and some amazing accomplishments in that time. But, you know, and then we've kind of gone and done our own thing since then. And, of course, he's, you know, massively successful and doing really great. And We, I couldn't, we all couldn't be prouder of what he's doing. It's fantastic to see, you know. And, uh, but it was, it, was, it was great. You know, they were booking on their new record the night we played the ramen. And so they knocked off early to come see us play. And he, you know, Heathens was always his favorite song of mine. So it was fun having him get up and play it. But, um, you know, so it's, it's awesome. It's great that we're all friends now because, you know, it was a little bumpy at the time. But that happens, you know, but it, we're all we're all super close friends and couldn't be prouder.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. And for those listening uh Catch the truckers as they sweep through the uh, southeast here and head up through D.C., uh, coming back to Alabama and all around. So, Actually, you guys are heading back out west, too, aren't you?
4: Um, I know we are this summer, for sure. Yeah, we're doing Pickathon, which is uh, – I live in Portland. I live in Portland, Oregon now, and Pickathon is this wonderful festival about 15 miles outside of Portland that we're doing this
1: summer. I'm familiar with that festival because they are actually uh, actually using our software, Festival. That's – just, okay. Yeah, just discover them um, looks like a very interesting festival thank you so much for your time and uh, we'd love to have you, you sit down with us for a full interview sometime in the future next time you're in Atlanta my it. man
3: alright let's do it thank you Patterson alright bye bye and now here is David Barbie with Seth and Rob through
0: down my the-
5: Away. What do you want to know? We, we are at the
3: Terry School of Business, College, College of Business right. at the University of Georgia and we're sitting here with the man who I don't know how did you create the certificate in music business program?
5: Um, Rob, I did not I stumbled once again into good fortune the music business program at UGA was um, started by a gentleman named Bruce Birch in 2006 he got it off the ground taught here for four years and then left to start a similar program at Kennesaw State he is now at Brunau and then I was approached by Bruce and George Fontaine who is the owner of New West Records who's a big supporter of the program about coming in and taking over and that was in 2010 so seven years in for me Seven years flying by. David Barbie. That's, right. that's me. Yes, and the first
3: and most obvious benefit of this program uh, was made clear to me by a friend named Cliff Crapp who lives in Atlanta and works in the music business and mm-hmm. was at UGA in the 90s mm-hmm. and had to go to Atlanta in order to get into a music business program. Now, the people who come to UGA tend to love it.
1: Yeah, I mean... I would and they don't want to leave, so
3: now they don't have to leave if they decide to go into music,
1: right, Seth? Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of folks, I think the blueprint, especially from this school, is pretty massive um, in the music industry from the recording side to where I benefit from the music festival world. I've I've had several interns come through this program and thus uh, employees in the music world. Um, But yeah, all facets from venue, uh, production, producing, etc. Do you want to talk a little bit about...
5: Yeah, we've got them all over the place. We've got a pretty good-sized graduate base in Nashville and New York and L.A. now who do just about everything you can think of. I mean, we have a lot of folks that are in the state of Georgia still, plenty of people in Atlanta, plenty of people in Athens. But we have people at all your giant places like Warner and Sony and then at cool booking agencies like Paradigm and uh, Ground Control and PGA and um, indie labels like New West and 30 Tigers and um, Merge. And, uh, yeah, we're kind of getting out there. We're all over the place. I want to make it clear to our
3: listeners, though, that you are perfect for this role because, first of all, you were part You're a of the gentleman. whole gentleman. <laughs> well, you were part of the whole you Athens… just met him. <laughs> well, I've also been reading a good bit on him. Remember? Um, you were part of the whole Athens 80s… Thing as a band member, right? You um, and we'll get into more detail. But you took up the production. You were taken under the wing of John Keene, You learned production very quickly, and you've played gigs all over the world. So you have all these different experiences in the music world that you can impart upon these children.
5: Well, I've been. I moved here in eighty one to go to college, and I was came here to go to journalism school. It's a great. It's a, It's a great school, and I stumbled into the then tiny athens music scene and you know saw REM play in a club for a couple of bucks and saw the little tigers down at the 40 watt which is now the caledonia time it was probably held 75 or 80 people at the time and I was just blown away by how cool it was and started you know i'd always i mean i played in bands the whole time growing up starting with the in the time i was probably 11 12 years old was playing in bands and just kind of kept on keeping on you know i Played in bands here, and then that led to going to the studio. And I was making four tracks at home, which kind of made me think I knew what I was doing with recording. And then John Keane asked me if I wanted to be an engineer. At the time, I had a baby and another one coming, and I realized that the engineer usually gets paid. So as opposed to just traveling around the country in a van and sleeping on floors that it might not be awful to actually get paid to do something. So I was traveling with Mercy Land and playing punk rock shows and doing that and just kind of cobbled together sort of a career, and just which just seemed like one thing led to another that – Playing Mercy Land got me in touch with John Keane. It also got me in touch with Bob Mould. So I was engineering at John's studio and then started playing in Sugar. And then the combination of those two things at the same time led more bands to know who I was, to give me more opportunities to record bands. And then sometimes it's just a better deal for me to go to the place where the band is, where somebody wants to work in a big room or somebody wants to work in a small room or somebody wants to work in this town or that town or by the beach or whatever or they have X amount of dollars, and their buddy at the studio will give them a break. So I just started kind of going all over the place and recording bands, and the next thing you know, it's 30 years later, and I've worked on like 300 albums and played in a bunch of bands, and it just kind of keeps on keeping on.
1: And you're able to keep your passion and and
5: happiness. So your
1: level of happiness, I imagine, has been pretty consistent through the years.
5: Yeah, career-wise, I mean, I have my ups and downs like anybody, but um, yeah, I've been able to... Parlay doing what I love to do, which is listening to music and hanging out with people that make it into a career for about 35 years now.
3: And it didn't just happen. I mean, you embody a lot of the things when young people who want to get in the music business come to me and ask for advice. They don't, probably doesn't happen as much to me as it does to you, Seth. But I do point out three things. It, for it, Given that music, so many people want to work in it, and so many people have the ability to do the different functions... That you have to bring something else to the table. First of all, you have to be resilient, as you uh, exemplified when your band ended. I mean, they they were crushing. Mercyland? You guys were doing really well, so you must have been crushed, but rather than wallow in it, you were inspired by it, and you learned how to... Twist knobs and get in the studio. And secondly, you're a workable person. You were willing, in some cases, to drive even to Columbia, South Carolina, to work with bands just to get the experience. Is that correct?
5: Correct. Even Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> I, <laughs> I lived there. Well, I know. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's a big day for a Gamecock. So, yeah, they're yeah, in the final four. Final, final four. Shout yeah, out. I recorded. Uh, I recorded bands in. Uh, I recorded Ghetto Blaster in the, somebody's basement in Columbia. Yeah, I would just go wherever because I realized that getting paid. a day in cash to go record a band somewhere is a lot better than... uh, Than spending $150 on gas and not making anything? Or or going to... Or like working some other non-music related job. I recorded everything I could because I just believed that every day that I recorded music, I was better at it than I was the day before. Every different kind of music I recorded would teach me something. If I just recorded the music that I liked and I only recorded in circumstances that were ideal, I wouldn't have learned as much. It's easy to record on good equipment. It is easy to record in fancy CDs. It's easy to record great songs. It's easy to record awesome bands. There's some really, I mean, (laughs) that's the fun part. But when you get, when you don't have all those elements where these guys make cool music, this is a room with a seven-foot ceiling, and they've got six microphone cables here, your answer isn't, well, we have to go somewhere else. Your answer is, okay, how can I make this work? And you just, you figure it out. That way, when you do work in big, fancy studios, it's amazing how easy it is by comparison. But
3: you're also a sponge. You're in a constant state of learning to this day, right? Oh, yeah.
5: I mean, I love, yeah, I constantly want to learn. And being at UGA, I have to... Because I have to keep up with students here. You know, it's mm-hmm. like today's University of Georgia student population is a far cry from the one that I was part of in the 80s. When I um, think about my mediocre, uh, you know, BC high school grades, that is, those are my grades. It wasn't actually 2,000 years ago.
3: About 1,500 ish. I'm not quite
5: that old yet. That, um, Getting and it never occurred to me that I would not get into Georgia to get a journalism school. That's just what I was going to do, but now I heard today I was at a meeting, staff meeting with the provost, and she told us that this the fall 2017 class. It's just been this the acceptances go out. Mm April first, yeah. They, Which is um, kind
1: of mean, by the way. Why would you set the acceptance dates to April first? It's like I was accepted, or is this and a nobody's going to believe it? Nobody's right. going to believe accepted.
5: They have um, it is almost a four zero. It's a shade below a four zero, like a three high three nines and and SAT scores in the old sixteen hundred standard. SAT scores in like the thirteen hundreds, and I mean it is the the students that are at UGA today are the cream of the crop, and so teaching these classes. I have to stay on my toes and I have to stay ahead because I get asked questions in my classes that the only honest answer I can give is... I don't know i'm gonna have to get back with you on that class
1: is over we'll be back on tuesday right right they're smart (laughs) to what extent do
3: these kids come in with a specific track of the music world and to what extent are they learning general and finding their track along the way through the program
5: uh it depends you know they're all over the place there's some people that they come in here they know they want to work as a booking agent they want to work as a booking agent in los angeles they want to work for one of these companies they want to book these kind of bands that's what they want to do there's other people that it is you know indie rock uh it's uh, uh, there's people that know but there's also a lot of people that realize I think music's cool I love music I'm not interested in anything else it's not in the cards for me to be a rock star what else is there that I can do I mean there's a lot of people that are just like I love music I want to get into it what am I going to do so, so I take them from who am I to who I am
3: and is it more on an individual basis I mean I yes. imagine So there's a lot of class work, but then a lot of separate work. Everybody has
5: an internship, and it's like the difference. one of the differences here is that I take 100 into the certificate program every year. I mean, there's about 350 people total that are taking our classes each semester, but there are 100 each year that are admitted into the certificate program. And the reason I keep that number at 100 is that I personally know each and every one of them. And when they graduate, we're friends, and we know each other. And so I know every kid in my class. I try to make it a point within a week or two to be able to f- know every name by face recognition. And um, once they've been around a while, I know where they're from and I know what kind of music they're into and I know what they wanna do and it helps a lot. It helps me, I mean obviously knowing people you can teach and you can learn, you can engage more effectively. But it also helps when somebody from a record company calls and says, hey, uh, tell me about this kid. And you can tell them, oh man, yeah she's great you're not going to do any better hire her or well he's okay but as long as he doesn't have to be on time every day you know (laughs) i mean just saying so i know every person that comes through here and when we get to the point where i don't know every person that comes through here anymore it's going to be time to quit it's people business
1: now i there's there's a lot of opportunity here in athens i mean you have yes uh these students now um i'm curious if uh, venues uh, like the Georgia Theater, and all these different things that are happening festival-wise and just uh, studio-wise, and just everything that's here, are they feeding from your program? Um, yes,
5: every single one of them. That we um, we kind of are the labor pool supply for Athens, Georgia music here. Every music-related business of any significance um, uses UGA music business students as interns except R.E.M., which still exists in a business because R.E.M. refuses to accept free labor. R.E.M. insists they pay people because they're R.E.M., and that's how they do things. So when they want a job done, sometimes one of their people will call me and say, hey, we need three kids to unload trucks. Can you set us up with somebody? Sure. I mean, back when they were touring or something, or if one of the other guys has a project, and we'll set them up, but they make sure they get taken care of. But Wait, they're in
3: the music business, yet they make sure they pay everyone?
5: They're R.E.M., they're wow. not like everybody else. <coughs> that's an adjustment. And then, but you see a lot wow. of... Um, uh, yeah, there's plenty of times I'll go into a venue and uh, a drive-by truckers, front of house sound guy, touring, one of my grads. Tour manager, one of my grads. Monitor engineer, one of my actual like uh, biological offspring. Um, I, go, I was in the Watt when they were playing, and between people working in the house, people working for the band, current interns, I realized... Man, I got about 10 people on the ground at this one show that are kind of my babies. I've actually mm-hmm. seen a guy play cool. bass
3: with them that looked exactly like you.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you can still see a guy occasionally hop up on stage and play guitar with and looks exactly like a younger, skinnier, more long-haired version of me, that being my son that's their minor guy. <laughs> yes, you know. I played bass in the Truckers for a brief stint uh, when they were between bassists. truly one of my favorite bands in the world. And uh, I w- that was one of those rare moments where I wish I had a clone. I wish I could have done that full-time because mm. I just love their music. I love those songs so much. And playing with them was just the most natural thing in the world. I didn't need to practice. I didn't need a set list. All I needed to know is the first note of every song, and I could just wing it because I know that music in my head, like I know the Beatles or the Stones or something like that. But at the time, I was already doing UGA and running my studios and just realized I cannot add being a full-time touring musician again and it would have been bad for them that was the biggest thing is that I couldn't really do that on a part time basis with them or I'd screw up their band and as I said they're about my favorite band so I don't want to screw them up
3: and we love them and we'll get back to them but yeah. we want
5: to talk more about the program yeah right? and I've got two specific yes. questions
1: about the program one um, as you mentioned Keith uh, used to run the program work the program here and now is over at Kennesaw right
5: well Bruce Birch was started Keith was Bruce's number two here and then right, he's right. taken over Kennesaw yeah great guy
1: and how um, is, are you name? working Parisi Keith's last name
5: Parisi.
1: Oh, Parisi. Okay, thank you. Is uh, working? Are you working with Keith? Um, is the pro, do the programs that all work together, or are no, they very not separate? Completely, really.
5: we, we kind of each do our own thing. We're from, I mean, we're you know we're very friendly. I've, we talk every now and again. Um, seems like things are going great for him, which I'm not surprised. He's mm-hmm. a smart guy. He's a great guy, and he basically built a lot of the academics that were part of the original curriculum here. Um, but no, I have enough on my plate. I do talk, I mean, we talk about, Hey, that would be cool. Just like I do Mm -hmm. with my friends at like Belmont and USC. But at the end of the day, it's like, I've got a whole lot of balls in the air right here in Athens. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and that, and and then getting my kids internships and jobs all over the country, you know, I'm kind of, it's like, I just, yes. And thank you for that. You are welcome. (laughs) I love them. So yeah, I would like to work with other schools more. Maybe one day we can, but right now there's just there's only so many hours in the day.
1: Which leads me to say, um, yesterday was a big day for um, music business, uh, particularly studio business here Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Um, Specifically, what I'm talking about, and help me out here. There's a bill that was passed yesterday, uh,
5: um, House Bill 155 in the Georgia Legislature. Yes.
1: So basically, they're going to give a tax break to um, anyone that's recording uh, here in Georgia. And so, well, a lot yeah, of with with a
5: threshold, spending threshold, I mean, it's got to be a pretty big project. But big. yeah, it's so cool. But it, it lets people know, come to Georgia, we want you here, and mm-hmm. the benefit, yeah, the benefits of the state. Or go ahead with your question. Yeah, I don't so so now what we're we, we,
1: now that's perfect. Though. So what we're having though is a big boom with the mu- uh, with the movie industry here, and right. And, so I'm curious. Um, this bill, I'm, I'm curious, is that it's got to be exciting for you as well as Keith, because now there's got to be some big opportunities that are going to pop up uh, as more studios coming into or more uh, movies are coming in to do the studio work here, uh, providing a lot more jobs uh, for mm-hmm. students, you know, graduates. And oh, also, absolutely,
5: it's, it's a huge deal. And that was one of the things that those of us that spoke with the legislators about the importance of this bill. That was one of the things that we pointed out is that the movie business has been so huge. You're going to have to give this thing time to develop, to see what it really does, but it should, um, be an uptick in recording business in the state of Georgia. Those of us who are in recording studios, pretty happy about that. I kind of doubt any of that will have a trickle down up or over since we're East of Atlanta effect to me because of what we do at chase parks, a little different, but in general, it's fantastic. And the, um, the thing is like what a lot of the legislators are asking me was that well, where are your kids go now it's like where do they go now they go to LA and they go to New York and they go to Nashville mm-hmm. and if what you're talking <clears> about is how do we keep this talent in the state because we get kids who now come from out of state to go to UGA specifically to do the music business program we get them from all over and they come here just to do this and they always want to know how do we keep these kids in the state and I said give them a job you know, it's like right now, that's not really happening. And so it's like what they asked me what to do. I tell them, yeah, Nashville, New York, L.A., pick your pick your poison. Move to one of those without a job. Roll the dice and mm-hmm. something will work out for you or it will you, you, you spoke with legislators yourself? Oh, yes, repeatedly. I right. was in all kinds of meetings with legislators.
3: Any formal, you know, in the House or was it all just
5: informal meetings uh, in their office, that sort of thing? It was – um we met in all kinds of places. I never went and spoke on the uh, the floor about it, but they had a couple of uh, big meetings meeting, here. Like well, not even that. No, they were like specific like legislative agenda meetings that were held mm-hmm. um, by the Carl, Benstit- Carl Benson Institute of Government at UGA that I was part of those. And then I had met with the uh, um, legislators on several other occasions in various locations just to talk about this. And they, I mean, I wasn't the only one. And uh, full disclosure here, we did go through the UGA um, <laughs> government relations to make sure i'm not running afoul of any laws with lobbyists or anything from my job uh, with the university
1: which has to be an it's, interesting shift to have to deal with things like that on the university <laughs> front and the uh, bureaucracy yeah. then what you were doing just yeah it's Studio cool role. though
5: it's it's interesting because they respect the fact that i got a different background a different perspectives than anybody else does and um, i'm interested in the way things work and i realize that the function of government should be to improve people's lives and this is something very directly that does that it uh Will hopefully help a bunch of people I love get jobs one day. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, to, cheers to creating jobs yeah, here in so, Georgia. Yep, can, yep, can, yep. can you name check any legislators or politicians who were particularly helpful? Yeah, the guy that led the charge is uh, um, Jeff Mullis. Jeff Mullis. Yeah. M U L L I S. Yes, and he is. Well, I don't want to say what city he's wrong because I'll get it wrong, but he was. Um, yeah, he was a real a driving force in this thing from the very beginning, and there's a handful of them that have been. And then there are Georgia legislators that have an interest in music-related issues. Doug Collins, he's the congressman from Gainesville. He's really into songwriter rights protection. He'll be speaking in David Lowry's class in a couple of weeks here. Excellent. And uh, and they reached out to us, like about coming and doing it. And since Lowry's been such a vocal, um, you know, defender of creative people's intellectual property rights, so that's kind of a good match. Is that Doug will come speak and. David's class. And let's not
3: gloss over that. David Lowry of Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker and other bands is um, one of your professors.
5: Yeah, everybody that teaches here, the deal with UGA Music Business Program is anybody that's on faculty here has to have current significant music business experience. David Lowry certainly qualifies. Tom Lewis has been engineering records for 30, 35 years. Um, Melissa Hayes, who teaches our PR and promo class, she is a publicist for Riot Act, who's based in New York and on the West Coast. She just works out of her home in Athens. Andrew Rieger, um, who you guys just met, he owns Orange Twin Records. He plays in Elf Power. He knows the record business, and he knows the touring business, and he knows the band business and artist management business, and he teaches um, distribution of recorded music and um, an a, uh, artist management class, and then he's going to start teaching a concert touring business class in the fall.
3: Elf Power, so, yeah, good we, band, too.
5: Yeah, great band. So, we got, so we basically, we want... The, the tendency can be in classes like this where somebody did something a long time ago or they read about it in a book. And that works great for some things, but music and the business of it changes so rapidly that if you teach on a model, I was gonna say 20 years old, if you teach on a model, I mean we can't teach the same model that we taught when I came on board here in 2010 because it was, it was all downloads. But isn't now. that any, any journalism
3: yeah. or, or entertainment related program? It really teaches you the box. but then And then you come out and you think you know the world, and you really have to learn how to break oh, yeah. out
5: of that box to make your own statement. Yeah, you realize that everything that's a great way to put it. You realize that everything's just changing constantly. Um, there's a, the Athens band Hope for Golden Summer has a great song, Math Metal. And the chorus of the song goes I'm a math metal song. All I do is change. And uh, yeah, amazing line. And that's how I feel about uh, the music business and hell, life in general. You know, all you do is change, so you just got to buy into that and keep on rolling.
1: Well, I know every year we get the uh, when we have a new fresh crop of interns for the summer. It's always, you know, if it's you know a couple years ago it was Snapchat or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. There's always right. something new, always something fresh, something. something hot that that let's you know. You the older you get, sometimes you just kind of miss that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 always neat to. Kind of have that fresh blood. And we're here because Seth spoke to your class, which and I bust Seth's
3: balls on the program a lot, but he does have wisdom to impart, particularly to the younger people oh, in, the, yes. in the industry. Um, who are some of the other speakers that you have that are particularly helpful to the students? Well,
5: we have a lot of cool people that come through here. We David Macias, who owns 30 Tigers in Nashville, is a regular guest here. We um, have had Bob who who is the head of music for Twitter. He now is the... Managing Director of Tech Stars Music, which your listeners should look up. It's a pretty cool, like um, s- tech incubator, uh, like startup incubator, um, based in LA. That's funded by all these big music companies. Tech Stars. L- yeah, we've had um, uh, a pretty wide range of people. We've had uh, Jason Hood? Aldean's man. Oh, Patterson Hood used to, is when he lived in Athens. He was the, always the first day speaker. Bradford Cox from Deer Hunter. Did a two mind-blowing classes one time.
3: I'm a huge fan of him.
5: Uh, me too. Great music. Um, great guy, too. But uh, let's not gloss over Jason. Up. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Jason Ispel's manager, Tracy Thomas, has come down here. Um, we've had people from all the major labels and major music publishers, and uh, I just know a ton of people. And Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard, he's come here and done something. Um, I've started getting my own graduates to come here and start speaking. Like this year we had a couple of agents, one from New York and one from Nashville. And then earlier this year I had a panel of graduates that was um, ranged from somebody who had been out of school for about seven or eight years and is now the director of writer publisher relations at BMI in Nashville to somebody that had graduated six months earlier and a lot of kids in the class had been in a class with her and she moved to New York with nothing and got a job at a booking agency. And, She's going to be like a massive star in that world one day, just Mm -hmm. because she just embodies what we're saying, which is roll the dice, get after it. Don't half-ass anything. Yeah, I mean, my first day of class, I tell them, it's like, look, I can sit up here for two years and tell you this stuff over and over again, but what it gets down to is show up early, stay later, work harder, tell the truth, don't be an asshole, and focus on quality and everything you do all the time. If you do that, you're going to be fine. That's yeah, a big don't be an asshole thing because something about young yeah.
3: kids getting into music, they they feel like that to be cynical and to be jaded right. is cool. Nah. When it's like, no, that's that's not cool. That's weak minded. You you yes. need to be workable and
5: friendly.
1: Well, Unless you're teaching the uh, the backstage production class, where it's like, okay, be an asshole,
5: dress in black. Right. All right, people. Everybody <laughs> out. Come on, let's get these cases out of here. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know you catch more flies with honey than vinegar just be nice to people be authentic be yourself it's amazing how those people really i mean the people that are really like at the top of the game in music um it's uh somebody i'm always trying to get here but he's way too busy to do it we talk constantly about it is frank riley he's an amazing booking agent he's been in the business forever and he was sugar's agent is how i know frank and he's like one of the most down to earth people i've ever met in my life and i think about it, this guy's had this you know 40 year career doing all this amazing stuff working with all kinds of artists and always um, on the pulse and uh it's yeah he's always got something new going he's always tuned in and it's like you know what he does goes to shows i see him at festivals and he's not he's not backstage drinking the band's beer he's out front listening to music and engaging on like a creative level it's very cool
1: and how much uh is the industry's changing we talked about one thing we didn't mention though about the industry changing is the women getting more and more respect now when you talk about the music world the women, yeah. it's, it's been a very masculine world. Uh, it's the and it still is. rock
5: and roll boys' club. It's changing, and it should. Um, we have a higher percentage of women than men in our classes here, and we we do talk about this stuff. And it's um, there are more strong, powerful women in music. And let's than face ever it, before. they're much more
1: logistically organized and, than some
5: of the men. <laughs> And it's uh, yeah, it's cool. Things are changing, but I mean, for years, you know, I mean, especially like studio work where I come from, it's been more of like the white guy rock and roll boys club than anything in the world. And it's a, it's not right. B, it's not fair. And C, you're missing out. And that the world's a better place the more diverse we are in, in everything, and it's certainly true in music. And I, I like when I go, I like when I go someplace and realize. That this is uh, that there's a lot of different kinds of people here. I mean, you don't want to discriminate against somebody because they are or are not something, but mm-hmm. you want the best people. But let's face it, the um, your ears work just as well, no matter where you're from, what you believe, what color you are, what sex you are,
1: mm-hmm. and and you build up the you build up the uh, class and the students you know the women are now going to go out and it's got to be um it's got to be an interesting subject matter to talk about it's like okay now you've taught you've learned all this you're empowered but when you go out there you, know, you, you can't get beaten up just because the guy looks at you and goes all right sweetheart out of the way
5: right it's um we do talk about that and uh, monica Tanyon, who was a guest lecturer here a couple of times she's a brilliant she's a brilliant person she was um CeeLo's business manager and ran Ben Allen's CD for a long time. She's now kind of more into TV and film, but she's still doing some music stuff. And Monica told some great stories about moving from Philadelphia to Atlanta and working in the hip hop business as a young woman, and uh, that how she learned when some guy would come over and kind of look her up and down and ask her, you know, who she's here with, she would just say, "I'm here to work." Great answer. And the other thing she told me one time, we were talking about um, training young women to enter the music business workforce and to um, be taken seriously as the smart, hardworking people that we all want to be taken seriously as. And she said, we should all be judged on our abilities, not our assets. True. Which is very true. And so... Yeah, we try and bring all kinds of people in here to speak to the kids, to give them as broad of a perspective as we can. And we want people to be aware of things, you know, race and gender issues, too. Mm-hmm.
3: And, I mean, is it fair also not, not to be easily offended, too, right?
5: Oh, well, I think that's just true of being a human being. And I think that that's a little bit of a problem now is that there are people who are on the lookout to be offended, frankly, we got there's a lot of itchy trigger fingers out there and you have to kind of roll with the punches but i think you have to in life and you don't you never want to watch someone else be treated poorly unfairly or any sort of discrimination you should stand up to at the minute that you see it but um as but yeah, again you want to be judged on your abilities and uh It's important that we have people that will speak up and speak out, but it's also important as just a human being to learn that you're going to deal with people that are unpleasant in life. You're going to deal with people that are unpleasant in business, and there are times you just got to kind of take it in, be grateful you're not like that, learn something keep on pushing forwards
3: there's power and not being easily offended right yeah there
1: is and not yeah and and not yeah being being easily offended and also not taking things personally you got to right. remember that this is a business yes right. just trying and, to get the job done yeah right. and, and sometimes people aren't going to see the same way eye to eye that you see and that's okay but end of the day as you love that saying uh <laughs> you can't be offended <laughs> if you don't get the contract you don't get the contract actually, move right. on get the other one but don't start a fight don't make it an issue actually don't, any time of day really but <laughs> so much to talk to you about but let's start with your newest
3: projects Because okay. first of all There's David Barbie and the, and the Quick Hooks Which is that named after Daryl Johnson by chance
5: No, it's named after um, It's for the Red Sox fans My uh, Oh, I know Daryl Johnson We should have left Willoughby And we could have beaten the Reds in that seventh game But go on They uh, you, know you, know, uh, you
3: know him personally? No, oh. no you know
5: who he is, of course You know, Jim Burton gave up that home run to Joe Morgan As the cousin of DeWitt Burton Who's R.E.M.'s equipment manager It was just a single and uh, and if the if
3: the field wasn't so soggy, Lynn might have caught it. It was a bloop single. I was there. I was with my mom. Oh. But huh. they lost.
5: They lost the. They lost one of the best teams of the 20th ever. century. That's ever. just how it goes.
3: But back to the quick hooks. But
5: the quick hooks. Yeah, I um, you know, I've been coaching little league baseball forever, and uh, there's the best team anybody's ever seen out at the park in Athens is the or that I can remember is the 2004 Chase Park team and. I um pulled my starting pitcher Jace Winford and brought in another kid to pitch. He was great, but it was his birthday and he was distracted. It was the only game we lost all year and so I was aware I named my band the Quick Hooks to remind myself of my own shortcomings and impatience. He was distracted? It was his birthday. Oh, uh, okay. It, was it wasn't 12. like the
3: 2012 Red Sox where there was beer and the chicken in the
5: clubhouse for the nah. birthday and none of that. <laughs> but uh and, and so I've been doing that for a number of years but now I've just finished making a record where I'm playing everything it's a solo record truly that I'm playing every instrument myself and I did it all on analog tape so I couldn't fix anything and that's uh, is a David Barbie record it's called The Tenth of Seas and it's on Orange Twin Records and it's coming out June 16th now the tour you're going to do
3: in New Madrid is that in support of this record?
5: yes um, it's very much in support of the record we'll be in New York when the record's released we we um, New Madrid, I've made all their records with them, and we've done some touring together, like me going to the West Coast to make a live record of them, and then a couple of times I've just like hopped on their tours just because I like hanging out with them and I like their band. And um, So we're going to do a tour in June where they're going to be my backing band, and then um, they will be the headliner of the tour, and then we'll get like local support first to three. So we're going to do that East Coast for a couple of weeks in June. We've talked about the West Coast in July, but I don't know if we're going to be able to coordinate that because... Between their stuff and my stuff, you know, it's all got to converge just right for it to work out. But yeah, I'm doing that. How
3: will you choose the material to collaborate on?
5: It's um, the stuff on my record.
3: Oh, I mean, beyond that. Are you just going to do the material off your record?
5: We're going to do the stuff off my record and then. We'll probably need to expand the set a little beyond then, but we shouldn't have too much trouble coming up with stuff that we like. I've written a billion songs, or else we'll just come up with stuff together.
3: Because I imagine people will be curious what you do beyond that. You know, that might be the kind of the beauty of the tour to some of the more hardcore Yes,
5: people. we kind of don't know yet. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a living thing. It's just gonna keep on growing.
3: What do you do when you play Athens and every student wants to be on the guest list?
5: <laughs> um, I don't do third party tickets for anyone. My family uh, gets gets to come for free. Uh, but that answers my next question um, <laughs> I teach my students that the only access worth having in the world is earned access. Don't don't pay for VIP earn it
3: um, so you moved to Athens in 1981 you said. correct and it was a little shotgun
5: shack town then huh? It' was a great town yeah there are about eight bands. Oh more than that I would think maybe I don't know maybe 15 or 20 you know because there's always you know some side projects but not the mm-hmm. 600 or whatever that there are now. Was Vic Chestnut the first musician you met? No, Vic wasn't here until about 85.
3: Okay. So who were the first musicians you met and hung out with?
5: Hmm. Mostly I remember going out to see shows and everybody being too cool to hang out with me because I was new. And I loved their bands and really wanted to be one of the cool people that was hanging out with the band. So. It was probably a good year where I just like showed up and didn't really talk to anybody.
3: <laughs> so it was kind of an insular scene. You're saying?
5: Jeez, oh, yeah, big time. I mean, there's people that were the REM guys were always nice to me. You know, they knew I was a fan of their band. Peter Buck, in particular, was, I mean, was really from the, Actually, that's somebody that was really great to me from the beginning because he knew how much I loved music and how much I loved records and the things that he turned me on to at one time or another include uh, Big Star, The Velvet Underground, Richard Thompson. The Replacements, Who's Could Do, The Meat Puppets, The Minutemen, The Easy Beats. There's probably a few others, too. But, yeah, he was um, – I would see him around, and he knew, that in addition to me, just liking this band, that I just really loved records and loved music. And, you know, the guy's just like a world-class record collector. So, um, Brian Cook, who's was in Gap. Brian was always cool to me. But, yeah, Linda Hopper is another one that's nice to me. It's really funny. Those really, really stick out because it's like I wanted to be part of this scene, but it was really – it was a very insular group. So, uh it took about a year of me just like hanging out, and then I think people realized, ah, oh, he's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> did you arrive a punk rocker, or did you become a punk rocker? From- uh, no, I don't think so. Um, punk rock, when I first heard about punk rock, when it first came to the States, or, you know, it first became, I mean, it's actually started here, but when it first became like, it's on the evening news in like 76, when the Sex Pistols broke. <laughs> Um, we were like kind of disturbed by it because the news reports all said that punk rock was a music that's going to kill rock and roll. And of course, you know, we all loved rock and roll. And then when I was in high school, this guy I was friends with David Wilkins turned me on to The Clash and The Jam because he had said, no, no, punk rock is going to kill the kind of music that you hate. Punk rock likes the kind of I was like, what do you mean? Well, like, like The Who and The Kinks and The Rolling Stones from the 60s. It's like they like that kind of music. Oh, what do they hate? Oh, they just handle this like bloated, overprocessed corporate rock of the then late seventies. But also the prog guys, to, to my estimation,
3: even though I'm more into prog rock and yes, and Elp right. and all that stuff, I feel like the fact that that was coming out, the, and then punk came and kind of like rounded out rock and roll, reminded yeah. people of the raw
5: energy of where this all right. came from. So David Wilkins, but. Uh, played me Train in Vain which I'd heard on the radio before because it was kind of an FM deep cut hit in Atlanta so I guess it would have been about 79 maybe 79 or 80 whenever that would have been on the radio in Atlanta I was in high school and I knew that song I said that's that's punk rock and he said yeah I was like oh well I love that kind of music he said yeah so he turned me on to the two records he turned me on to were London Calling and the jam Setting Suns." And but like any kid you know it's like um, one week you're the Clash, And then one week, you know, you're the, the Gang of Four or the Ramones <laughs> or whatever. One week, you're, you know, the Chronic Town era REM. One week, you're, you know, Scratch Acid. One week, you're the Minutemen. I mean, it's just, you know, you adopt these things along the way and at some point in time come out the other side, a fully formed, you know, unique, you know, artistic voice. You hope. But it's again, when you hear like early Dylan records, it's like, yep, he loves Woody Guthrie. You hear, um, you can hear records where you can hear somebody really aping some other sound. And it's funny when you hear those artists that were something really is its own thing from the very beginning, man, it really stands out. I mean, that's those are the great ones, you know. I think the police, that, Elvis Costello and the attractions, would you put them in that? Kind oh, of thing? yeah, totally, just their own thing, absolutely. Just, I mean. Uh, you know another, you know that you what else We really got me into that kind of music Is the first two Joe Jackson albums <gasps> Is uh, Look Sharp Same guy David Wilkins I went to high school with He turned me on to, to Look Sharp And that was that was also I mean this is probably Same 78 79 maybe And uh, It's like Yeah really cool Unique Records But And the kind of bands I love The kind of bands I like to record It's like you want something That is its own thing um, Rather than a new like if somebody were to say well we want to make a record like exile on main street or zeppelin 2 my reaction is i've already got those right <laughs> give me something new so, give so me something unique
3: did you take that attitude into forming in Mer- mercyland were, were you guys oh, breaking i in?
5: would th- hope so but when i listen to it now it just all sounds like other stuff i mean i don't know we, we became that we became our own thing When i listen to the first like demo recordings we made it's like yep i know what record i was listening to that week but i was (laughs) that's that's my excuse and uh but over time i listened to some of the later stuff that i mean even a couple years into it and it's like yeah we just sound like us how big did they get did you get uh depends you know we um we had our hot spots i mean obviously around here in atlanta we did really well we could we could play a bunch of good shows in New York and Boston, a few other places, too, that we had it going on. And there's other places that was just like any other indie band where it's just a slow, painful death. You know, we've, I've played a three-people in Louisville. And, uh, I remember one night pulling into Nashville, the same week that we had played three-people in Louisville, and we had played Kent, Toledo, Lexington, Louisville, and then we finished up in Nashville at what's now the Inn, but used to be the Elson Square and um, now the exit in you mean no 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 across the street oh it's just called like the end really but small it, but yeah it's a lot smaller than that it's about a fourth of the size of that I remember we played to like 25 or 30 people there and it was my birthday and I remember thinking what a big crowd it was At the end of the night I realized it was like 30 people that's <laughs> combined total is more than the previous four nights that we've played you know it's and the, but there's a lot of bands that have those experiences I mean you get these big bands I mean You know the drive-by truckers have played shows like that. I mean, not anymore. You know REM played shows like that. Everybody that's been in a touring indie band, you get at home the impression is, yeah, they played New York and they killed it. I saw the pictures and yeah, great. But what they don't say is, yeah, but they played like four other shows that week before they got to New York where it was just like, free beer and hopefully somebody gives you a couch to sleep on. Well, most, so Mercy yeah. Land, it was, you know, it was ups and downs, ins and outs, depends on the place, depends on the town. Sometimes great, sometimes don't alienate the audience. One of them's your place to stay. And is that why the band ended, Kind of, it wasn't going it, was, it was time, just for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one, we weren't getting any bigger. It was that, it was not gonna take off. Um, and just like creatively, I was just ready to do something else. I mean, you know, my whole career, I've just kept on kind of moving through things. I was in Mercyland for about four years, and I was in Sugar for three years, and I played at Buzz Hungry for about three or four years, and I played for a few months in the Barbecue Killers, and then I've shifted through a bunch of different people over time, playing with what is known loosely as the Quick Hooks, and now I'm doing this thing now, or I'm going to do this tour with New Madrid, and the same thing of recording bands, other than the Drive By Truckers, who've been you know, con- and Bloodkin, who've both been a constant presence for the last you know fifteen or twenty years. But everything else, you know, I just kind of keep on moving through it because I'm interested in a lot of different things and I don't want to get trapped in one little area. But I that, want to keep on moving.
3: That's a key point, though. You, you're you willing to walk away with that from, from Mercy Land.
5: You had right. a wife and kids already at that point, right? That's the other reason is that I, well, I guess I had one baby when I quit Mercy Land. And, it was a, and I guess we were pregnant with Winston that just – he was born in October. This is February. So we might not even known yet or maybe – we had just figured it out, but we knew for about six months before we told anybody that we were going to break up. We, It was really great. We planned our breakup in secret for about six months, played shows, saved the money, made a record, sold our van, and then released a record on Valentine's Day and announced we were breaking up at the same time. Smart. Like golden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I mean, I had a you know a baby and another one coming and was married and was just like, but, done. And so I thought I was done touring all together, and then it didn't take but about six months and Bob Moore came along and was... Really pretty, thankfully, he's a good guy. Thankfully, uh, insistent on me playing with him. And I want to talk
3: about him, but in that six months, didn't John Keane?
5: step oh, it was up? was all right together. Mercy and I broke up and two weeks later. John Keene called me and said, hey, do you want to learn how to be an engineer? And I was like, yes. That's a big, <laughs> that's a big moment Shoot. right there. Yeah, because it changed my life. And when I started engineering in CDS. that's the first time I ever felt like, oh, man, I'm pretty good at this.
3: Can you explain who John Keane is to our yes, listeners? Yes, John
5: Keane is an engine, Athens engineer producer who um, has owned a studio here since the early 80s, and he has done almost every Wise Tread Panic record. They've made a few other people here and there along the way. He's worked with R.E.M. and 10,000 Maniacs and the Indigo Girls, and he's been a really influential guy, and he's a really kind, generous guy, and he... Um, he and Bob Mould in about six months of each other saw things in me that I did not see in myself and both gave me an opportunity and urged me to pursue it. In John's case it was studio engineering, which is the great which was just like a breakthrough moment for me. And in Bob's it was just like, hey, you know, you could play at a little higher level and this could be like a thing. And so yeah, it's pretty good year.
3: Bob's an interesting Ooh. point in his career, right? He's just been influenced he's just put out two in retrospect angry records of his own, post Husker Du, right? Right. And he's been influenced by um a my Bloody Valentine record called Loveless is that correct?
5: Yeah uh, yeah, that's funny I've been listening to the My Bloody Valentine EPs that came out between um, Isn't Anything and Loveless this week and that's been my truck listening it's Tremolo and Glider yeah you made me realize stuff's great yeah we left my Bob Tremione and My Bloody Valentine right before when we were on the way to the studio to make Copper Balloon and Beaster which we made at the same time is that he we stayed a couple of days at his apartment in Brooklyn and he played that record for me and Again, that's one of those things. My bloody Valentine. It's like, at the time when that record came out, it's like, this is, like, no other kind of music I've ever heard before. It's amazing. Yeah, I love that record. It's a great record. So
3: that was a driving force behind. Oh, it was.
5: Yeah, we were all really into it. There's, I mean, you know, Bob always sounds like Bob. I mean, Bob sounds like Bob. He's playing the acoustic guitar. I mean, to me. I mean, the bands are all different, but Sugar and Who's Could and what he's doing now with John Worcester and Jason Narducey, you know, it all all sounds like Bob. But yeah, you listen to Copper Blue now and it's just like, oh yeah, he obviously was... And, and I mean, all three of the Sugar records and it's like, yeah, he was really digging some...
3: Yeah, but Copper Blue is one... A, a lot of very people who know music better than I cited it as one of the best records of the decade.
5: Well, they're kind to say that. There's a lot of people that liked it. Uh, Bob... I mean, he wrote great songs. Lou Giordano did an amazing job engineering that record too. And Malcolm's drumming—he's a machine. How was Bob to work with in general? Um, intense. He know, he's focused. He knows exactly what he wants. I mean, there's some people that are that, get, that find what they're looking for, kind of loosey goosey, and get there one way or another. There's other people that are extremely focused and intense, and that's his vibe. Is that he knows what he wants. He is very focused. He's got a lot of drive.
3: Weren't you with him smart. around the time that someone outed him against his will and um, then he came out as a, as a homosexual later?
5: It was, I mean, it wasn't a secret, but there was kind of a rush among the English music press. People as a big story, and people wanted that story. And there was one of our tours where it seemed like almost every interview that finished finish the band and say, okay, uh, Bob, uh, David and Malcolm, you guys are done. We just want to ask Bob a few questions. And Malcolm and I, would, I remember one time we were somewhere in England and we were doing the interview with um, Melody Maker. And uh, Malcolm and I walked away. Malcolm, great sense of humor. And he looked at me and he said, gee, what do you think they want to talk to Bob about? <laughs> he Actually, hey, I, they wanted I, to I ask to him about the... I, uh, uh, one second, cause I got my student meeting I got to get into here.
1: They wanted to ask him about, uh, what's your take on the new uh, Liberace album?
5: Yeah, right,
1: right, right. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Rob, you, I know you had a couple more things yeah. you wanted to ask.
5: Narrow it down to
1: one.
3: Uh, Drive-By Truckers, you're credited with saving that band. We, can we come, come interview you again? Because there's so much more to talk to you about. We
5: can, but, we'll but talk, we will talk about Drive-By Truckers for yeah, a Yeah, you
3: came into Southern Southern Rock Opera. One is in the middle of it. They, the band was falling apart. The project seemed they were about to scrap it. And you stepped in and are credited by Truckers fans, who I respect, for saving the record and the band. Your, your response?
5: My response is I love them, those people. That band, their music—I mean, those guys are like, you know—I mean, they're some of my best friends in the world, and I've been amazingly fortunate that they stick with me. You know, it's like well, I've made records for them for nobody that no—I mean, there's—it's hard to find many like artist-producer relationships longer than my relationship with them. But that's really the beginning of it. Is I mixed Alabama Ass Whoop and the live record they had done themselves, and then I mixed Southern Rock Opera, and they really were coming apart at the seams. And um, I'm not sure what I did other than encourage them and believe in what they were doing. And I love those guys. And, you know, who knows, maybe you're around another person and you realize, hey, this guy's really into this stuff. It seems like it's pretty good. Maybe we should stick it out. But, um, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I've heard, you know, they've been very generous in their assessment of my role in their band. And, uh, but, I feel pretty lucky to get to hang out with them. So I don't really know. That's probably a better question for Patterson, which
1: think, uh, we will ask him when
3: we. Do you think the tumultuous them? nature of that band has fueled and informed their music?
5: Yes. Okay, that's, that's a great it, that's, that's eager to get we'll out talk of here. More later. All right. Yeah, well, thank, thank you so you much yes, for your time. You Very generous
1: that's of fun. you. Yeah. not a fantastic subject to talk to i don't know who would be because that barbie was incredible he's an incredible guy and and has so much going on but you know for me rob obviously one of the things that most interests me as much as as much as the trucker stuff is great uh, what he's doing with the um, with his music business program really really is amazing um i can't i can't, I can't talk hey, enough about it Amen. I would
2: like to publicly thank you for the opportunity to talk to him, and it's clear we'll get to talk to him again. He's fascinating, and that's all. That was all you because you you speak to his classes. What what I saw you speak that one day, but in general, is that is that the uh, your general approach, or yeah, do you yeah. have different topics?
1: Well, so what I talk about when I go to the universities is uh, I share. I like to share the stories of all these folks that have gone through my program, working with us, and have you know, really found a place in the music business. Because most people come in, if they're going to do an internship with us or they're coming in through the festival and doing the, you know, volunteer or fan staffing thing, they come in and it's like, well, you know, I really want to, how do you do this? I really want to be in the business. And you know, you kind of give them, before you tell them how to do it, you kind of ask them questions and, and, and you find that like, what 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 do you want to do? And they all say the same thing. I want to put on a music festival. It's like, all right, you have a million dollars can throw it on the in, down the toilet and and be able to like, you know, live the next day. Well, no, most people are going to say, and well, you shouldn't think about trying to put on a music festival. Rather, find your place in it. And how do you find your place? And that's, what I, that's the story I share with people. Is what, how do you find your, How do you find your place? How do you create self-value? How do you create value for yourself? How do you work in this industry? How do you find the opportunities? And the whole thing is this. It's finding opportunities, following these opportunities into other opportunities, which will eventually find your place. And you don't need to know oh. where you're going to end up you don't. You just. It's all about right. how you're going to get there and take. I think the, it's key. I think it's key. To, I think it's key to add that the program
2: finds the opportunity. Sounds like, you know, he's constantly surveying all his contacts and looking for work for the certainly the at least the best students mm-hmm. that he has. You know, so
1: absolutely. Well, that's, you don't even have to
2: find it. if you really if you really go there and apply yourself. You you don't necessarily even have to find this stuff. It's going to be presented to you, and you just yeah. you know it, 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 it's unbelievable.
1: Yes, he and he's he's really. Keen on that He's You know He works with all the students He really gets to know them On an individual basis Understands what their strengths are uh, Coaches them through I mean he's also a baseball coach By the way But he coaches these guys their You know Students through Different scenarios Different things of interest If someone says They want to do Uh lighting he'll put him in touch with a lighting designer he'll put him at the georgia theater and help him you know do lights if people want to do uh road managing if they want to you know whatever the concept whatever it is it's not this like okay well you want to be a road manager okay now pretend you're a road manager and do xyz no he puts them out and connects them with people that are actually doing stuff and that that really makes a difference uh in in these people's lives i mean if they're gonna they're gonna see and learn exactly what it takes what's you know what that job is um engineering all this sort of stuff I mean there's so many students that come that that are helping out in the studios in Athens and in the other areas. He sends me interns i mean we get interns uh uh from him. Probably, you know, twice a year, if not more. It always varies. But, all man, like some of the students that he sent us have been so top-notch, and they continue after, working, after the school, and they graduate. They come and do work with us over the summer. And then these are the folks that, you know, two years later, uh, I look backstage at a music festival, and they're, you know, as a supervisor of a department, or they're a department head, or they're high up working in hospitality, or they're working with artist relations, or they're working the lights for, it. Mean, it's everything.
2: Or they're, the, or they're the general manager for the new Rocky Theater.
1: Yes, although Rachel didn't come from that program, but yes, they, you're very right about that. But um, that's the
2: type of, that, that's, she's the same type of thing, where she mm-hmm. got her opportunity, she pursued it, and she followed it. This program will get you into those type of positions. She, she told me about an eight-year span, was it, for her?
1: That's um. amazing. Yeah, French. Uh, go from <clears throat> from uh, essentially interning with us to being the GA of I'm sorry, the GM of the new Roxy and the uh, new Turner Field or is it Turner Field? What the hell do you call it? Brave Stadium, SunTrust Park, whatever. Anyway,
2: they're calling it SunTrust SunTrust Park. Yes, I, that's I huge.
1: To be a general manager, yeah. you know, a young girl. You know, she's she's not even thirty yet, and she's a general manager. That's huge.
2: It is. A, it is essentially. Uh, out in right field if you are uh, a baseball fan. And we're, speaking of baseball...
1: We were talking, David, by the way, my, we were talking about Rachel Mentor, if anyone was uh, listening. That's who's the general manager. Go ahead and rub.
2: David got, got my obscure baseball reference. How about that? And he even knew a relative of Jim Burton. Amazing.
1: Knocked, yeah. me, knocked
2: me over that one.
1: And you're listening to Sports Radio with Robert Turner.
2: Oh, the Colonel would have loved that. Uh, he, well, I think we actually
1: talked about that with the Colonel. Dude, yeah,
2: but it, I would think he would, he would have loved to have heard it. But I have one last thing. Um, yeah, I caught an old an old Atlanta musician favorite of mine.
1: Oh, let me can I guess? Sure, Ralph Roddenberry. No, I haven't seen him in
2: a while. Though I, I prefer him with Ted from the Grapes in the duo format. That's my favorite Ralph Roddenberry stuff. And I don't know if they play around as a duo much anymore. I don't know.
1: I saw on Facebook though a Facebook live video stream of him at a restaurant performing, and it, it, there it's funny because he was one of those staple Atlanta musicians that played every every weekend and almost every night. It was like, and so you st- I personally stopped seeing him because you could. See, it's weird, like when you can see someone any night of the week, you end up not seeing them, and then you end up not seeing them no. for years. I don't know. For me, that's it's what not happened. Weird. It's-
2: yeah, it's like having a a tourist attraction in your town. You get you 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 it's always there so you uh, it's easy to take it for granted.
1: Yeah. So it's been years. I would I would I would actually uh entertain going to see one of those mom shows. There's a venue out here in uh where's it Rob? It's outside of Atlanta, but it's like
2: That's in Lil, That's in uh, Lilburn. It's a nice little outdoor cozy venue right off downtown. I love music on Main.
1: And it's a really cool little spot. It's um a music school and then they have this like little amphitheater and it's a you know, it's a really like it's a great place to take your kids uh, and your family, have a picnic, have a dinner, and, you know, just kind of hang out outside. Under the summer stars, I don't know if the stars aren't out, that, that early. it gets dark, but eventually. But you get the point, it's a, it's a very family-friendly vibe. Um, all the kids running around and dancing and enjoying it, and yeah. Um, but anyway, who did you see, Rob? Charlie Wooten Project! The Charlie Wooten Project, not to be confused with the Wooten Brothers.
2: And I was psyched to see Daniel Gruber of Ludwissi playing guitar. Yeah. I spoke with Daniel.
1: Yeah.
2: Daniel's working on a studio record in Ricky Keller studio. Oh, cool. And the keyboardist, which I was over on the left side, so I was right next to the keyboardist. I had been booging with that same guy at J-Rad at the uh, Candler Park Festival just the week before. So that was surreal. I, didn't, I haven't seen... Charlie's band in a while so I was kind of thrown by that Robert Polay and his lovely and awesome girlfriend uh, came by for a while your buddy our buddy
1: and the music scenes buddy Because we should do a show we should do an industry profile on him he's a uh, he runs the uh, Polay accounting firm uh, working with tons of bands and also sports a lot of sport characters
2: yes we'll do that interview on calculators
1: <laughs> it'll be a calculated interview you're right <laughs>
2: yeah, very much so yeah. Uh, I like to think all of ours are but we generally improvise. Right? I do want to make
1: um, an apo- yeah. apology here, Rob. Can I?
2: It's about time. Is it to me?
1: Ah, Sorry, listeners. Who cares about you? Go fuck Uh-oh. yourself, Rob. Um, I'm just um, kidding. I love you. I love you, Rob. I love you. Uh, but listen, guys, ladies, gentlemen, women, I don't know how you approach people out there, address people out there. Can I address you? That's I, The point is... You don't...
2: Wait, hold on. You don't know how to address people. Uh, maybe, maybe you shouldn't host a podcast if you oh. don't know how to address people. Do you, do you not want? Oh my god! You shouldn't say stuff like that. Is uh, what I'm saying. You're right. Go on. Oh my god! Oh my Listen, god. I'm the host of the show, and I don't know how to address people. But here we go.
1: <laughs> so, uh, what I can tell you is, I sometimes my timing's off, and I don't get things in. I want to make an apology. I thought it was funny to say South Carolina. My sister and brother-in-law were just in Hilton Head or somewhere around there by the beach playing golf. And I thought it was funny and relevant, but I guess sometimes. So then, when I started, when we talked to Patterson Hood, and I started with that, I'm sorry, I kind of. And I think he took me serious, and then it got really weird and awkward and uncomfortable. So
2: now, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak on behalf of the listeners now, because I know the listeners love you. I've talked to them. I actually run into more people who I don't know who listen to the show, which is very gratifying. By the way, I don't take praise well, so if I'm ever a dick or I I don't know, I don't mean to be. I really appreciate everybody who listens to this show. Don't listen to me; he's an asshole. I really do. He's really an asshole. (laughs) <laughs> but here's the thing, Seth. You often are, seem to be more interested in coming up with a witty remark than actually having one. So you sometimes it's like you start to say to have a quick response when really you should hold back unless you actually have a response. So you Definitely. get caught up and then you have to just say whatever. And
1: it's Tourette's, you know I mean? man. It's Tourette's. It's, you know some, it's Yeah, but you can't. You're a host.
2: Especially when it interrupts the guest's point they're trying to make, then then my skin really starts to crawl.
1: No, I understand. It's it's uh, I understand how that can be. It's like when a host goes ahead and leads someone into a question and then kind of like gives them the answer that they're looking for, uh, just to you know get. But what here's they the want. thing. I get it.
2: On balance, we're we're getting better. This is going to be if you're a listener and you've been with us from the beginning, it's going to be like watching Dylan learn how to play guitar in the '90s, early '90s. Wasn't so great. it Was messy. But you know what? By the mid to late 90s, Dylan was playing some pretty cool solos, man. And,
1: then and uh, hopefully, and hopefully like, tomorrow he will. I'm here at the Firefly Music Festival in Dover, Delaware. And uh, I'm going to see Dylan tomorrow night, uh, right before the weekend. He, he be did the, play, the weekend.
2: He did play guitar on 2 Ramona at the Capitol Theater, which were essentially the warm-up shows for the show Seth is going to see in Delaware as part of the Firefly Festival. So there is hope that he's looking to play guitar at your festival.
1: That would be great. That'd be great. I wish Daryl was going to be uh, here tomorrow to see him, but there.
2: Daryl is Seth's son.
1: Yes, that's right. We actually right.
2: wanted we wanted Daryl on this segment, <clears throat> and I was going to talk Daryl into going to see Bob Dylan, but Daryl's agent would not stand for it because Daryl has his own podcast now. So he, d- he does old... have his
1: own podcast. uh We'll share that link with you all later on. In a. Uh... Another another day. But uh, he um, he won't be in town. Uh, he and his agent are uh, flying to the next gig. They're actually advancing the next gig. And he's really funny, though, Rob. We were at a restaurant uh, after the pirate uh, day yesterday. It where, better
2: be... See, when you, when you preface it like that stuff, it better be funny.
1: Well, I mean, it, I think it's funny or adorable. Like, he, he goes to, like, the waitress or the person at the next table, and uh, they'll be like, you know, we'll strike a conversation. And he goes, well, tomorrow... I'm going to my mommy and daddy's work. And they're like, oh, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to the festival and I'm going to use the computer and I'm going to check people in and then I'm going to check them out. And I don't need to know what time it is because the computer will know what time it is. And he's very excited about doing this. Child labor laws. Don't listen to this, please. Absolutely hilarious. Absolutely. All right. It's, um, uh, so, like Rob mentioned at the, the beginning of the show, uh, we decided this week to do two episodes back to back. Like, literally, rather that than making decided, one, okay, uh, sure. We, as in me, that decided, decided. And I that, obeyed. We just thought, you know, instead of giving you guys like this two-and-a-half-hour episode, we wanted to release this material. We're sitting on a lot of material right now. We've got some great interviews. And by the way, if you are out there and you want us to get these interviews out there, we could do a weekly. We're just looking for a sponsor. Email us, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. And I'm for real, folks. If you have a product or you have, uh, you know, if you're interested in getting behind the show, let us know. Uh, We can we we have some uh, headline talent that we're ready to release, and we could use a little help. August is... August. That's right. So, um, thanks for listening to this episode, and if you listen to the other one before this one, it doesn't matter, because we're going to say the same thing at the end of the next one, and it's going to be really confusing to you, the listener.
2: I can't wait to start my competing podcast with Daryl. That's why I back off with the agent, because I want to start a podcast with Daryl and have it be, like, way better than your podcast with your own phone my
1: goal we all have goals and folks this is where when i told you he's an asshole you can living proof (laughs) (laughs) all right folks thanks for listening and hey if you didn't listen to the zipper (coughs) club episode go back and listen to it it's the i just listened to it again and i i enjoyed it and if i enjoyed it i think you'll enjoy it too what do you say huh
2: another one of those groups that i'm still listening to you know usually i move on and and i'm focused on the next i mean I'm still focused on the next interviews but usually when we complete interviews i put the music of that artist aside for a while whereas zipper club i still find myself listening to their music
1: they get a hold of me they get a hold of you but please rob don't get a hold of them all right folks have a good day night evening morning arrivederci
2: oh and this is a brand new song from um david barbie and the quick hooks
1: oh yeah rob can you say that one more time with a little more gusto
2: This is a brand new song from David Barbie and the Quick Hooks. And if you wait just one moment, I will get the title, which is Portuguese Tour.
1: Speaking of tour, see David Barbie and his band on tour right now. (laughs) DavidBarbie.com
6: Got to be too jumpy I used to like to party Till I coughed up half a lung but sometimes late at night i hear the beat of bumping. I reach for my holster And I wake up all alone Used to have a wife But she told me I was crazy She said she couldn't stand The way I fidget all the time on late at night, I circle around the house I look through the windows and I dream that she's still mine I got scars on my back from the way my daddy raised me I used to have a family until I got divorced I've gone too far from the things that could save me I used to be a cop but they kicked me off the force Be a cop till they kick me off the floor.